So everybody, come Holy Spirit. We yeah. welcome you here. It's a different format this morning, but you have used the online platform to do your stuff. And we just ask you to do more. Yeah. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Open our eyes, open our hearts to receive. And Lord, move amongst your people and your church this morning. Or afternoon. We pray that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So we are going to talk this morning about leading diverse communities. Now, we're not claiming to be experts on this. We're All we're doing this morning today is just inviting you into our conversation. And we recognise that this can be, quite a trick, can be quite a tricky topic. So we just want to encourage you to use this space for ex exploration. And if it raises ugly or painful things, just find someone to talk to. The Lord wants to deal with our issues and our stuff and he wants to heal our pain. So come to the Lord with your stuff if it raises up this morning and find someone safe that you can speak to about the things that the Lord is raising in your life. So I just want to say, oh, I've lost my notes. Sorry. I just want to uh, say thank you to Tom and introduce him. This is Tom Thompson of Croydon Vineyard. I say thank you to Sal. This is um, Salam Dermeda from Merton Vineyard. Um, and they are going to unpack some of our thinking behind this. Uh, and then we're going to have um, a panel uh, where interviews where we can ask some questions. So what we'd really love is if you have any questions that come up during the seminar, if you put them in the chat, we can put them to our panel at the end of the seminar. So as, as it's going on, if you've got any questions, we'd love you to put them during the seminar in the chat so we can try and collect those and ask those to our panel at the end. Um, or you can just put them in at the end as the panel appear because some of us need a bit of time to process and think. So we're gonna hear first from um, Sal and then we're gonna hear from Tom and then we will have our panel to ask questions to. So without further ado, I would like to introduce you to Sal de Almeida from Merton Vineyard. Hello, Sal. Hello. Um, yeah, just uh, just want to say hi to the guys from Merton that are showing some love and support in the chats there for me. Um, Amy, Mike and David. <laughs> Thank you guys for showing up. Yeah, um, my name is um, Salomon. That's... Um, translation from Solomon uh, in Portuguese, because I'm originally from Brazil, but I, you can call me Sal, it's easier. And, um, a, and in Brazil, we speak Portuguese. So I'm originally from Brazil and I've been living in the UK for the past almost 18 years now. I think it will be 18 years at the end of March. And um, yeah, so I, I came to the UK speaking no English whatsoever, so I had to start from, from scratch um, to learn English and, uh, and, and just to find a, find a way around to, to live life in the UK, to find work and, and different things. And, um, and uh, also, uh, I was already a Christian, and um, so this, this is the beginning I started. So you fast, a lot of things happened and you fast forward um, a few years and uh, about seven, almost eight years ago, I joined Croydon Vineyard in, uh, well, in Croydon, 
Uh, I joined Croydon Vineyard, and at the time, it was in the in very very early days, uh, very beginning. There was it was still a church plant. There wasn't even a proper uh, Sunday services, and I I think I was the only one that was known. Uh, English speaking, but there was other English speakers, not from the UK, but they were white as well. So I'm kind of not white, but I'm also not black. And English is not my first language. So you get a bit of the drama. And um, so I joined and um, I, I remember I had moved to Croydon for work and I was looking for a church. And I met these guys on the high street and um, and uh, I, I remember um, because I was looking for a church and I wanted to serve the Lord, I went into it very much trying to see what God wanted to do. So even though um, there was moments where I felt that was not my place because everyone else was um, white, either from South Africa, Australia, or uh, from from the UK, um, I, I, there was a few times when I felt like completely out of place and uh, that was not uh, where I should be um, but um, I remember there was an instance when we, that we had that hog roast at um, Tom and Leslie's house and um, I was there and I was the only one who was kind of a, like completely out of out of I felt out of place and I I hid behind a pig and I just carved the pig the whole the whole afternoon I, I remember Tom asking me are, are you shy and that was not, I wasn't shy, but I, I felt completely like, um, like a minority and because I was. And uh, I remember just uh, at that moment, just praying to God and asking, Lord, is this what you want for me? Is that, is, this is hard. Do you want me to stay here? And I felt challenged by God to stay. And because it was hard, it was him that was doing it. And, and I stayed. And um, so from that to now, it has been like seven or eight years where uh, when I'm now um, a senior pastor at Merton Vineyard sent uh, by Croydon Vineyard uh, to take over the work there, there was a few things that happened on the way that helped me to go from hiding behind a hog roast into um, leading a church of um, English people and white people at the moment. Uh, this is what we have at Merton, but you know, um, it's going to change. Um, so there was a few things I don't I don't want to claim to speak for all races and all cultures and say that this is uh, a recipe to welcome everyone and to raise leaders in all kind of uh, setting. But I'm just saying this was my experience, and I tried to think about things that helped me to move uh, forward. Um, so one of the things, a few things that were strong, that spoke strongly to my life, um, as soon as I, as soon as I uh, spoke to Tom for the first time, and he realized that there was some sort of leadership in me, um, he spent time with me. I think that was the first thing. You have to um, forget about being around just the people that are like you. Um, and Tom found time to spend with me. So I, I worked at Croydon Hospital and he used to come twice a month uh, for lunch and have lunch with me at Croydon Hospital. And then I moved from Croydon Hospital to Guy's Hospital in London Bridge and he still carried on coming 
every, twice a month he would come to have lunch with me and talk and find out how I was. And um, so he spent that time with me. And now I'll tell you what, I wasn't easy. <laughs> I love the times. I didn't give him much. And uh, he would try to get me into uh, thinking of leadership and stuff. And I would go against it and say, nah, I'm not, I'm not going to lead. I'm not ready for leading and, and all of that, all of those kind of things. But he insisted and he gave time um, to me. And um, another thing that was important for me is uh, celebrating who I am, celebrating diversity, celebrating who people are in your church, who they are, the background they come with. Um, uh, I, um, in the beginning, uh, because of because of my my background and trying to fit in into the culture here, I try to uh, hide a lot of my Brazilian side. I try to suppress uh, who I was, my culture, the way uh, we behave in Brazil. A lot of behaviors and a lot of things. Uh, there was a lot of meetings that I wouldn't open my mouth because I thought it wasn't appropriate because of the way I, I would behave or the things I was going to say, things would come my mind and I would hold it and I would suppress it. But then there was a, there was one time, I think we had started doing the leadership program, the Vineyard leadership program, and we would meet once a month to talk about the modules and stuff. And there was one of the meetings, I think, um, I think it was just, I was there and I think there was another girl that was from um, Switzerland. That's, I, I don't know if she's from Switzerland, but uh, the rest was all English people and they were all very kind of well-behaved and, and nice. And, uh, um, and uh, there, was, there was moments where I couldn't hold it. So we would spill out and, uh, and I was being all Brazilian and making jokes and, and doing all sorts of stuff. And I remember apologizing at the end of the meeting I'm so sorry before I left and then this and, and then Tom and Leslie said no no we love you know we love what you did and stuff but then a few weeks later I received a card and that was one of the most encouraging cards that I ever received in my life and that reassured me and uh, I, I I'm about to move houses so I've been through loads of stuff and I managed to find the card it's a few years old um, and this is what the card says um, and this, for me, was a massive celebration of who I am and an encouragement for me to, uh, to let uh, my culture shine through. Uh, it says, Dear Sal, more please, more of all that you are bringing. You are a rare and wonderful treat uh, to have around. God has unlocked your cheerfulness and humor to go alongside a staggeringly deep spirituality. You embody so many of the things we love. You are naturally supernatural. You work hard, you stay humble, you value people and are faithful to Jesus' word. Um, we love you and thank God that we know you. More please, love, come and Leslie. So this is a very simple message, but that spoke deeply in my heart because it was a, a celebration of of who I am, and um, it was uh, it just encouraged me to to um, just to let myself go, to feel free, to be who I was. So celebrate and encourage. Uh, I think this is not a kind of uh, I'm not reinventing the wheel. You know, you know, encouragement is is amazing. So just celebrate people and encourage them. Uh, and the, the the third thing I thought was take risks. Um, it's always a risk 
when you were uh, when you involve loads of people from different cultures and different uh, church backgrounds as well, because uh, the vineyard has a way of doing things, and sometimes people have different ways of doing things. So it, it all it's always going to be a risk, but you take the risk um, and you encourage encourage what is right and you teach what can be improved. Um, if you don't take the risk, you never know if, if the person will be able to lead. Um, I remember the first time I was asked to speak at the front, it was in the very beginning, I was asked just to come and tell uh, the church how I had uh, how I had come to the church to, to know people. And I went and I explained that I met them on the high street and all of that. And after that, uh, I remember Tom coming to me and saying, uh, you speak really well, everything made sense, you should uh, talk more in church. It, after that, it took about three or four years until I did my first talk in the church. I still, I still didn't go, but it was a beginning. He took a risk, put me at the front, and then he encouraged what he felt uh, was important. Um, and I think the last thing I want to say is get your church on board uh, with that. Get your church, because uh, I, I have a friend a few years ago, he came to study uh, English and he was in a different city. And I, after a few months that he was there, I went to visit him because it, he, it was the same situation as me. He came and he didn't uh, speak any English and he didn't find a church. So I went there to meet him and I took him to a vineyard church uh, with me. And uh, we went in and one person spoke to us. It was a Brazilian girl who was near the door and she spoke to us and no one else spoke to us in the whole service. And in the end, I went to speak to the pastor and he spoke to us and he was really encouraging and he gave us uh, directions and things how to, to get the guy involved. Um, but it wasn't, it wasn't an, a nice experience. It, it, I, I won't say, I won't say what, what church it was. Um, but as leaders, I know leaders will go and will go out of their way to, to encourage people and to be welcome. But we need to get the church on board so that the whole church is welcoming and, and receive people from different backgrounds and different cultures uh, so that it's not only one person doing all the efforts and trying to, to get, bring people in, but it's the whole body uh, celebrating that diversity and welcoming everyone that comes through the door. Um, I hope that's helpful. Um, yeah, and I think that is um, all for me for now. Tom and Leslie. Thank you, Sal. That is really, really helpful. And we just celebrate your honesty and your wisdom and your perseverance. So thank you so much for sharing so personally and so honestly. Yeah, we really love do. It. Yeah. And um, I think for us, we also just want to be honest in this moment. Uh, and we feel this is a moment for vineyard churches. We, we really feel it is. Um, if, if you were around last year's NLC, you may know that we did almost the same seminar last year. And um, it was called How to Raise Up a Multi-Ethnic or Multicultural Leadership Team. And um, I think when we did it, Sal was involved as well. And, and really and truly, it was a bit of a crushing moment because there's probably only about 12 or 15 people who attended and most of the people who attended were people who were not white British people and it just was this moment I think of revelation from the Lord of like oh my goodness I don't think anybody in Vineyard even remotely would 
would want to be racist, would be racist, but there's something where the, the priorities of Jesus and his kingdom, that every tribe and tongue would be gathered together, that his church would be one church with one voice, stand up and proclaim worship and adoration of Jesus King, something in that isn't hitting our movement at this moment because most people don't seem to have an interest in how to raise up multi-ethnic leaders. Now, of course, we're not so big-headed to think that you're not interested just because you don't come to our seminar. There could be huge levels of interest under the surface, but it was an indication and a moment of like, oh my goodness, Lord, like, how can we shift this in our movement? And then, I mean, you, it's just astonishing really what God has done in these last 12 months. And we really want to deeply honor John and Debbie and the uh, whole of the leadership group because this year it feels so different, doesn't it? It feels like the spirit of God is doing something in our movement. This is a moment where the kingdom is coming by more people caring about and choosing to press into the empowering and the uh, supporting of people who are different from themselves. And we're a now and not yet movement. We're a kingdom movement. We want to see what is in the future present in the moment. All the Alexander Venter stuff and all the Derek Morphew stuff. And we love that stuff. And the future we know from Revelation 7 is that every tribe and tongue will gather together and with one voice, with one voice, will proclaim that salvation belongs to the Lamb who sits on the throne. And so we feel that although the church has for many years always cared about reaching the nations, that actually this is a shift perhaps in what the Lord wants to do, where it's no longer sending people to reach the nations, but it's choosing together, not just to lead diverse communities, but actually to seek to forge fusion culture, a church where people of tribe and tongue, of nation and language, fuse together, bring together all that they have to together with one voice, worship the Lord. That's what we feel is the kingdom. And we're not alone. Uh, Gordon Fee, brilliant theologian, I'm sure you all know him and have read him. Uh, he says this, Paul's mission was not simply to make believers out of the nations. Rather, his passion was the inclusion of the nations into the people of God so that they were not two people, but one people. Not two, but one. The desire of God, according to Gordon Fee, the desire of Paul, was not that to be a church over here who have this nationality and this group and that group, but there would be a fusing together of all the different people to celebrate and honor and glorify Jesus as the king. And the New Testament witness is probably that many of us, although we would never say we we're racist, just naturally one of the things we fight against the most is that we give mental assent to the idea that every tribe and tongue will be before the throne, but we do not live it out because it's quite hard to live it out. And so in, I don't know if you've ever wondered, what, why does Paul gets so annoyed with Peter in Galatians. Why is he so annoyed? It says this, Galatians 2, it says, Paul writing says, when I saw that Peter was not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to him in front of the whole church, and he says, you know, why are you doing this? And he says, 
the bit we love is that there's no longer Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female. We're all one in Christ Jesus. So the great challenge is that will we choose to go beyond mental assent of, yes, we want all nations to know Jesus, to say, actually, no, we will we will make a shift in what we do. We'll change how we live. We'll change what we expect from church. We'll change our focus in order to pursue the kingdom vision, which is a vision of fusion culture. And so here's three things just from we'll really quickly chuck these at you and then we'll get the panel on. Uh, so you can ask them some questions. Uh, the first thing is ask God to do it. I'm sure we all pray, you know, Holy Spirit, come, let your kingdom come. If the kingdom is a diverse, united kingdom, every time we pray, let your kingdom come. God hears that as a prayer to say, would you join together tribes and tongues and nations before the throne, all with one voice saying, Jesus, you're amazing. And we prayed for this in our city. We started, as South says, all white team coming into a city that was at least 40 percent non-white. And we just prayed. We just prayed, God, please send people. So when Sal came, we didn't just, you know, I didn't just go and take him for lunch and send him cars just because yourself, but because we're like, we can see this is something of the Lord. This is something of the Lord that he's doing in amongst us. He's choosing to answer our prayers by sending us people who are not like us. And in the early days, just out of the blue, as many people who've been involved with church planting will know, you just get contact out of the blue to black African ladies over one Christmas just contacted us and said, we've been thinking of joining your church. Could we come along and try it out? They said, yes, we'd love you to. And when they came, we just we, we said, yes, you're an answer to our prayers. You're an answer to our prayers that God's brought pioneering individuals like yourself. And they said to us, oh, our, all our black friends say we'll never last at your church because it's a white church. And we said, but we don't want to be a white church. We want to be a, a kingdom fusion church. And you are going to be people who God uses to enable us to become that. And they've become like seven, eight years later, you know, Sal, uh, these ladies, numerous others. They bring something, the fusion culture of the kingdom. And even Dorothy is on our panel. I'm sure she won't mind me saying that we prayed and prayed that God, we're praying God, send us worship leaders who are black. Please, Lord. And then she, she had a dream one night where God spoke to her in a dream and said, this church I'm going to send you to is people of all nations sat around the table. And when she came to our welcome lunch, she sat at the table and she said, this is the table I saw in my dream. This is the church I saw in my dream. Uh, the Lord is, answers prayers. If you pray, Lord, would you make us a diverse church would you help us create this church he will answer those prayers because this is what jesus loves he loves kingdom expressed now and this is kingdom second thing be a leader in considering others higher than yourselves um just choose actively and deliberately to befriend and consider others higher than yourselves especially when they're most different from you just really quickly a little bit of humility can go a very long way when it comes to building uh, a church that is a fusion church. And then the third thing, I just want to try and share with you a uh, image, which is from a really helpful book that I found by a guy called Eric Law uh, on what it means to create a church that's not just one culture, but is uh, together enshrining and bringing multiple cultures to fuse 
with one another. Now I'm going to hopefully manage this, uh, which is going to be uh, here. And we're going to share this and see if we can manage to get. This is the image, which I hope you can see. Uh, now this image is an image called the cycle of the gospel. And the reason I think this is so helpful is for two reasons. Eric Law will say that we, we understand the gospel primarily based on our culture. We often access it with an understanding derived from our culture. And so if we're from a culture where we're used to being powerful, our entry point into the gospel is often a point of surrender, often a point where we feel I need to see God change me. I want you to change how I am on my inside, Lord. I want you to meet me. I want you to forgive my sin. I want you to bring me emotional healing. And often powerful cultures enter the gospel cycle in that point. Now, he also says often uh, cultures who are powerless or have an experience or a history of being oppressed or um, colonized, they, they come into God and they, they're wanting God to empower them that they can uh, see an, a breaking free of the oppression that they've lived, to be breaking out of a cycle of poverty. They're looking for God to bring uh, his presence to set them uh, into a play, a new and better way of living in terms of circumstances. Now, the thing that's really helpful about this is that it actually can affirm both entry points. And at the same time as affirming both entry points can say, in fact, for all of us, for all of us, the great work of the gospel in our lives is when we're going round the entire cycle where people who aren't always coming to God for surrender, but we're also looking for his empowerment. And when you have a fusion culture church, you can have somebody you're celebrating, which is a, a guy in skinny jeans and a hoodie singing about Jesus is my girlfriend. And, oh, this is so amazing. And at the same time, you can have a, 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 a lady dressed in traditional African dress declaring the word of God. Like we, we move forward and you can celebrate both of those things at the same time time because you recognize all of this is the cycle of the gospel and so it, often in powerful cultures we want conversational style preaching we want intimacy and in worship which is often sort of looking in and like oh lord i need you to meet me in this place uh, and we desire um, very scaled down ministry often in terms of i want to meet with the lord i want to be showy and authoritarian whereas in a powerless culture often you can want to celebrate thanksgiving and the goodness of God and the work of God and his desire to change us. You, you, you may look more likely for preaching that is powerful and strong oratory and grabbing me and give me a sense that the Lord's going to, this, is, this guy is going to help me break through and overcome my circumstances. And so we can find ways to embrace all of that. And finally, just on this point, the thing that's perhaps really helpful and also a real challenge in this is that while this cycle can be uh, incredibly helpful for identifying our own bias it can help us also learn realize we need to learn from somebody in a different part of the cycle it also helps us think well hold on a minute we don't just want to let anybody do anything we really want to stay true to our now and not yet theology and we want to have vineyard values and so we can speak to people and engage with people to say look it's great you're looking for this, 
it's great you're looking to declare and, and see God use you. How can we do that in a way that is true to our theology? How can we do that in a way that's good for our values? And how can we do that in a way that will all grab people who are currently at a different point on the cycle? And I, we just found this to be a really, really helpful process uh, for thinking about culture, thinking about how can we draw people in. And honestly, this has been one of the greatest delights in church leadership. It's a great moment, I think. It's a great time to see fusion culture being formed, working with Sal, working with these guys who are going to come on the panel has honestly been like we've learned so, so much from them. Now, the final thing just before the panel come in is I just want to say that a challenge that we don't necessarily feel, but Sal and uh, Marcus and Sahara and Dorothy and many others in our church, a challenge that people will feel is if they are leading and expressing what is perceived to be an unusual part of the cycle, they will receive criticism. They will get ignored, marginalized, people won't listen to them, or maybe they'll even outright criticize them. And it requires a significant level of understanding of your identity in Christ to be able to be an unusual leader in a church. And it requires those others on the leadership team in maybe the more usual places on the cycle of the gospel to just throw as much affirmation and encouragement and friendship in their direction as possible. Because honestly, if it isn't for people like Sal, we'll be so much poorer and we must do all we can to love and celebrate and, and hold those who are expressing something that's a slightly different thing in the fusion culture. So um, the book is... Yeah, uh, Jeremiah is just asking some... about the book and Dan was asking, will the diagram be available afterwards? We can do all those things. So should we get the panel on? Uh, the book is called The Wolf Shall Lie Down With The Lamb, I think it's called. It's by Eric Law, The Wolf Shall Lie Down With The Lamb. Uh, and we can share the diagram. So if you are on our panel, you need to request... Marcus and Sahara and Dorothy need to request sharing of your audio and video. That's it. Brilliant. Hi, Dorothy. And Marcus and Sahara. Hiya. Hiya. Right, so we're going to do a panel and we'd like to put some questions to our friends here um, that we'd love to ask them. So if you've got some questions, why don't you put them in the chat and we'll try and collect some of those. So Tom, you're going to have to help me find the questions. It moves very quickly as we're asking. So I thought maybe we'd just go around and say hello and introduce ourselves. And then I'll, I'll start with um, a question for um, Marcus, I think. So let's, why don't we go around. Dorothy, why don't you just introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Dorothy. Um, I go to Corona Vineyard, I'm 31, and I love Jesus. <laughs> that is a great introduction. <laughs> love that. Thank you, Dorothy. And then Sahara, why don't you go next? Hey everyone, I'm Sahara. Um, I live in Croydon, but I was actually born and raised in Lewisham. Um, and this is my husband, Marcus. Uh, Marcus, um, been going to Croydon Vineyard for the last three or four years or so. And yeah, born and raised in London, Croydon specifically. 
That's great. So I've got a question that kind of comes up with something that was said earlier. In fact, I'll ask Marcus and Sahara to both give your opinions on this question. So John was asked, was, was talking about not ignoring racial and ethnic differences. And I thought I'd ask you guys, take a question out of that. Do you find it unhelpful when people ignore issues of race and ethnicity? And why is that? Maybe uh, I'd say it is unhelpful in terms of not acknowledging um, the race of someone, because you know a lot of people might say, oh, I don't see colour. Um, and think that's sort of a good thing. But I think it's clear that God has created us to be different races, different cultures, because we are. Mm -hmm. So that would neglect the fact that God has created, created us in this way. And um, so I think it's really important that we acknowledge the differences in church, the different people, and then find a way like we've been talking about already to bring those all together under God mm -hmm. in a way that um, he'd be proud. So. Yeah, I think it, it really needs to be recognised. It's, it's not a stigma, it's not something that needs to be brought up every single second and we just focus in on it. But it's definitely something we need to acknowledge and consciously think about. Yeah, I agree. And I'll just add by saying, I think it's going to present challenges. The, the racial tensions, they do present challenges. It's, it's tough to discuss. But also, those challenges can help us grow. They help, to, uh, help us to approach people differently, um, they change our perspectives. All of those things are beneficial, I think, in terms of us growing as Christians. So I think sometimes by ignoring it, we then miss the challenge that we've been pre presented with to actually grow in our faith and to grow in our love to others as well. Mm. And just to add quickly, I think when we look at race, um, there's other ways that if you can't identify with race, been an issue in that way maybe think about class and how that's been an issue for people and in church backgrounds um throughout history and then you can maybe start to see how it's, it's kind of similar and um, how you may have people of different class who worship differently and don't speak in the same way um, and they may have been looked at in a certain way and with races is a similar thing yeah and um, dorothy can we Thank ask you. you about the um, there's a question about conflict resolution and about how that's maybe done differently uh, in different places. I mean, just do you want to talk a little bit about how can we as people find a good way uh, if we have diverse communities? Like, how can we do conflict resolution? What are the sorts of things that we could maybe think about from your experience? Yeah, um, I think um, when, when a black person and a white person, on the black person's side sometimes it props up in their minds like oh are you only bringing this to me because i'm black person side it might just be no generally there is a problem so to find that balance is to i guess make if if the if the conflict is with like someone of color then not to make that person feel less in any kind of way like let there be like meet at a mutual place so maybe let's say oh let's go for a coffee or maybe i can come to your house like make them feel comfortable and um also like obviously obviously avoid anything to do with race and just deal with the issue at hand and i think if someone does bring up the facts of their race then just remind them that no i'm i'm telling you this out of the love of jesus and it's got nothing it's really got nothing to do um with race so i can't actually see the question on my phone. That's I hope I've answered the question. That was great. I think um, it flags up because I was talking to a guy, um, Leon, one time outside a, a coffee shop and he's black and I'm white. 
and I realized that we, he, we were talking quite energetically and uh, somebody actually stopped and asked me if I was okay, assuming that he was having a go at me. And I thought, wow, like, this is unbelievable. But, you know, I think that was a revelation for me. Um, I think there's something about assumptions there that are made uh, different cultures express things differently and just checking assumptions about how we express. I think it was Joanna who'd said sometimes, for example, in the comments, passion can be seen as aggression when it's not aggression, it's passion in different cultures. Sal, did you have yeah, anything? I think it's about learning. Go on, go on, Dorothy. Oh, sorry. Yes, go on. Oh, so I was going to say, I do, I do think it's also about learning people's um, languages, like their body language and how they communicate. Yeah. Someone say it might not be the way that you communicate and it's about learning, um, learning that and seeing that as, as important as the way that you communicate too. Yeah, I think there's a really interesting question about ministry time, uh, which maybe we could also involve worship in as well. Sal, do you want to talk a little bit about, um, is there a risk of enshrining a particular type of doing ministry or doing worship? And how can we do it in a way that's going to be uh, in, inclusive or gets the culture present in that? Um, I think... Um... Yeah, I think I think uh, in terms of ministry time, I think the question was uh, if if we should do it differently because it, it says vineyards does ministry time for white people. It was something like that in the question, wasn't it? I, I read it. <laughs> um, I think uh, I think people will, will bring different things. As I said, so, uh, people are not only from different cultural or race, uh, but there's from different church backgrounds as well that come to the vineyard. And um, I've, I've had a, a person tell me that, that they didn't feel comfortable praying in tongues um, in the service. And, uh, and my advice to her was, you know, just just feel free to pray in tongues if the Spirit is leading you to do that. I think I think when we encourage people um, to, to uh, be sensitive to the Spirit and do ministry are uh, Spirit-led, then uh, we can't go wrong because we know it's the spirit of God moving, and it's not a particular culture or a particular a particular thing or a particular tradition. Uh, but it's the spirit of God. So I think the more we encourage people to connect to the spirit during ministry time, um, I think uh, I think we'll, we'll make it easier, um, no matter what your background. Uh, but also, I think. Um, giving freedom for people to express themselves in different ways is helpful uh, because it makes people who are coming say, oh, actually I can, uh, like during worship, I, I can jump around if I want, no one will be judging me. I can, I can um, dance or, or, or clap my hands. I don't need just to close my eyes and be on my knees just because the person next to me is doing that. So. When, when that freedom is given uh, from the front and, uh, and from worship leaders even and, and from the leadership and everyone says, oh, it's okay to do this, everyone see that it's okay, then they feel comfortable and, and free to do that and maybe change a bit of the culture of uh, doing worship in ministry. Um, I'm not sure if it answers the question, but I hope it 
is slightly helpful. I think what you're picking up on, Sal, is that it's almost like you, you need to give that explicit permission because I think we would we would naturally assume, of course, people can do that, but actually, sometimes it needs explicit permission. Dorothy, do you want to talk a bit about what, when you're leading and some of the things you've almost needed that explicit permission to do when you're leading on stage as a black worship leader? Yeah, um, I loved what Sal said earlier about um, like how like you, Tom and Leslie, encourage um, because I, I I remember there was one point it was like you know just just be free. I, I can't remember what was Tom or Leslie one or two, but <laughs> what you said to me just be free in like how you lead and don't like don't feel like strict restricted. And I really appreciated that. And what at that point I was holding back on how loudly I sung or how many riffs and runs that I did in, you know, the verse and the chorus, uh, cutting the song too soon or not cutting the song soon enough. I was thinking really like detail about those things because I was thinking like, I don't want anybody to look at me like, oh, look at that, you know, loud black singer <laughs> in a nutshell. But yeah, when I was encouraged to just like be free, I really just like let go and was, if I felt like doing some riffs and some fancy stuff here, I would do it if I didn't feel like, and not just about feeling like, but I, cause I, I do it in the spirit. So like, I wasn't suppressing the spirit anymore. I was just being free. So yeah, that's just one example. And you talked about movement on stage, haven't you, Dorothy? Do you, do you, do you remember? About how you felt you needed to, you kind of wanted yeah, to move um, a bit more when, am I right? Am I putting words in your mouth? No, no, I sorry, I vaguely remember that conversation, yeah, because um, we're talking about, I think we were talking about dancing, because in, in um, like the African culture, especially the African church culture, we do more dancing than standing still. Even in worship, there will be some form of dancing. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, again, like to kind of like be, to, to be free to do that um, in, in, you know, in worship was, it, it feels it feels amazing it feels weird at first because obviously no one else around you is doing it but to get that encouragement to do that was great i mean i think i think most of us would say oh we love that idea it's almost like so how do we do that it's just that unlock the lord can send people to you who just naturally do things which unlocks so much in you as a community so uh um Marcus and Sahara, do you guys want to talk into this question? Uh, do you think it's a time for some of us from a white majority culture to intentionally step aside, make space for others to step into positions of leadership power so we're more reflective of our diverse communities? So I've been thinking about leadership in churches and, and that sort of angle of it. And I think a church should always be reflective of its community. So if you're in a community that, like in Croydon, for example, where 40% non-white, then that means that two in five of your church is going to be, well, could potentially be black um, or, or, okay. or a minority. Mm. So it would make sense in a leadership format to have someone from that to represent. Um, it's not about forcing it because, you know, you don't just do it for tokenism. Mm. But if it's possible, then I definitely think it's something that could be looked at because you could think in your mind and think, why haven't we had it in the past? Have we not been considering people and looking at their gifts and encouraging them? And because we see leadership as a certain type of person, uh, that's one question. And I also think as well, if there's not anyone who's ready to be a leader, there's other ways in church you can get people from minority backgrounds involved. You can ask them, oh, do you want to serve the tea and coffees? Do you want to be in the worship team? Do you want to be in prayer ministry? There's so many places in church where people can serve 
and be involved. Um, and it's not just about having the same people up at the front every time. You, if people are willing and want to get involved from different cultures, then definitely see if they're up for it. Yeah, and I would just add to that, I just really feel like there's nothing to be ashamed of by being intentional. There's nothing to sort of hide behind. If you want to pursue a diverse church, I feel like you should be able to be open and say to your, your church and the fellow members on the team, this is what we want to pursue. We feel like this is what God is calling us to. And I think we don't need to be shy about it. If you see a gift in someone and they're of an ethnic minority and that's something you really want to push, then just have that open and honest conversation with them. I think um, the common ground that is Christ is enough for us to build on. And I think we shouldn't hold back. I think making our intentions clear is actually a very powerful thing. And even in some harder conversations that you might be having, you can just start the conversation by saying, look, I just want to make my intentions clear. I don't want to offend. I just want to approach you in this way and see how you feel about this. And I think Dorothy may have mentioned, but yeah, we're saying this out of the love of Christ. Then, you know, hopefully no one is offended and people feel built up and they feel encouraged. I've noticed this gifting in you. We want to pursue this. Would you like to try um, I, and, and also, I think um, at Croydon Vineyard, there is almost like a we're not just going to say you, we see something in you and here you are, off you go. But we feel loved, encouraged and almost like coached, not, you know, not like oh, I hold your hand the whole way, but we believe in you. We see this in you um, and it should feel encouraging and uplifting. Definitely. Yeah, I think it, I just would want to speak slightly on the concept of power. Because I think um, the power that Je you know, Jesus was the most empowered person who's ever stepped foot on the planet. And yet he was the person who released others most into ministry. And I think um, it's very helpful to consider power as being something that you use to lift others up. And so in that sense, um, if we have power, we should be grateful to the Lord that he's given us that power and then use it to lift others up rather than I understand the question but I think there is a real thing, sense of um, we can embrace the power the Lord's given us and use it to, to really serve others who, who you can see so much in um, would you say I mean I think there is a question on um, leading diverse communities which is quite challenging so um, you know some of the key issues that maybe Marcus and Sahara you've been leading a small group now probably one of our best and biggest small groups um, but to start with you guys only found that black people went to your group and it and it, it's quite a difficult thing as a black leader to feel like oh am I the black group and do you want to talk about that now you actually have some guys who aren't black who come to your group but just talk us a bit because I think that's quite a helpful insight for us who would maybe never think about that yeah I think it's interesting because you would think, when you think of minorities and black people in particular, like us, um, I sometimes think if I'm introduced to a new black person at church, are they just gonna join my group because I'm black? <laughs> but there's a lot of variety in black people. Some black people might not wanna just join a, a black group straight away. They might wanna join another group. So I think it's important to in introduce um, when someone's new at the church who's black or an ethnic minority, introduce them to different people and let them make the choice because we're not all the same. Um, but for us, yeah, <laughs> having a lot of black people in our group, obviously we're young as well. So that was probably a factor. 
So there's more than just our race as a factor. Mm. But I do think, yeah, it can start to just look like a black group. And then you could easily default to suggesting black people to join that group because mm. they might feel at home with other black people. Yeah. Um, but I think just let people make up their mind, let them decide where they want to go, who they want to go with, just give yeah. the options. And yeah. I think. I would just say, um, I think firstly, obviously location played a large factor as well because of where we're based and the the um, the population there in terms of the minorities that live in that area. That was definitely a factor at first. But I think it's also great to model within the group that, first of all, we're not a black group. And, uh, you know, they should, I think it's good for people in your group to see you with all different races at church, um, sharing songs or um, maybe there's a word you heard from someone sharing different, sharing that in the group as well. Um, and also, especially because I think one thing that we all have in common um, is the fact that we may have been the only black person in other groups. So when there is one white person or two white people recognizing that they are now the minority in your group. So now you have a chance to treat them how you wish you may have been treated in other um, situations. So making them feel welcomed, you know, joining them into the conversation. And I think um, we have to recognize when we we're going to a topic now where that person may not understand the lingo, they, they are feeling isolated. So let's move on. Let's make sure people continue to feel welcomed. Um, and I'm, yeah, I'm glad to say that we do have white people in our group. Um, and yeah, it's, it's great to, to have a number of different races in the group. I mean, we've been blessed to, to be in a number of small groups where we have, um, we may have been the only black people there, but we haven't felt isolated, but we've actually been blessed by walking through the text with people of different ages, races, and that just really helps you grow. So there's definitely benefits to it. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think something that's really helpful in this conversation, isn't it, is that people like uh, many people from all over the world wouldn't identify themselves by their race necessarily. So Sal would say, I don't think of myself as black, I don't think of myself as white, would have been many people from many parts of the world who wouldn't see race as their defining factor, um, and yet would still have experienced racism. And um, there's a question, Sal, where you say how, I think Ruth was asking, how do we address white privilege racism in our church behaviour? What would you, what would you talk, what would you say to that, Sal? Um, <laughs> sorry, I was muted because I keep getting feedback. Um, it's that's a really it's a it's a really tough question because um, um, you, you, I mean, you have to. I think you have to as a leader. You have to address uh, when things happen, like um, like happened around the world with all the, the racism and the riots and, and everything that happened with George Floyd and things. As leaders, we have to speak up on the subject and make a clear position of um, where we are at in that so that the congregation knows. Because it's hard to spot, um, it's hard to spot specific acts of racism and, and, and th different things in the church. But as a leader from the front, you can, um, you can speak up on the when things are happening around and uh, and give make it clear our position in terms of, of racism and, and how how we see 
and uh, what is the right thing and what is um, what the Bible say about it and how we should uh, behave in terms of that. Um, and But if we actually see it in the church happening, then we have to challenge it and, um, yeah, challenge it and uh, work on the discipleship. Um, I think that would be my quick on the spot answer. <laughs> I think what's happening is really good. And I think it's having conversations. I think when the George Floyd things ha happened, the one thing that certain churches may have been scared to do was actually address and discuss it with their members and see how they're feeling. And when I was talking about in the past, some black people, it's not a universal feeling across yeah. of how ethnic minorities feel. So for me as a black person, I may feel different to how Sahara felt or Dorothy felt. So you, it's bearing that in mind and having different conversations, getting different views, and then we're able to see, okay, where is everyone at? on this issue and then we can tackle it as a church and we found that conversation a really challenging conversation yeah. personally because we were conscious that as a church that as many people from we've got about i think about 35 different nationalities and and there's be so many different perspectives on the on the on the death of george floyd and trying to find a way to not um some of the language that we come into contact with this stuff can be quite challenging because you know it talks about in romans a lot about a oppose what is evil so we oppose all racism but we also celebrate what is good and sometimes it felt difficult to try and find how do we talk about this in a way that doesn't speak against one culture but stands in protection of the other culture and um ultimately the cycle of the gospel that you we want to not speak against white people because we want to speak for all people but we absolutely want to stand against the evil. And I think so generally, as these guys have said, questions are really good, asking people in your congregation. And then I think the emphasis on positive declarations of this is what the kingdom is for. This is what we're for. Now, uh, you know, I'm not saying that we got that perfectly right, that conversation, but um, that was through in our head. You know, that's just trying to let you into our head. How do we do this in a way that doesn't just become um, a, a speaking only for one culture. We're trying to speak for all people in this. And how do we do this around Jesus? So thank you so much to Dorothy, Marcus and Sahara and Sal. I really appreciate your wisdom. And again, your honesty and your bravery. We're tackling questions, deep questions that were just thrown at you in the moment. You guys are amazing. Now we're going to get cut off at, at 2.30. It's quite a sharp cut off. So sorry about that. But um, there were some great questions in the chat that we didn't manage to get to they're all valuable and thank you so much it's just too much to cover if you have any other questions or you'd like to get in contact with us we're always available yeah uh croydon vineyard and but really hard questions if you just send them to um sal at merton vineyard we haven't got time for your jokes dot, dot com is it dot com sal is just going to pray us out org. you can send it org. <laughs> i'll forward it <laughs> Sal, do you want to just give us an encouragement to end with? Yeah, and pray. For, would you pray, Sal, for those? Uh, this is such a thing of the Lord right now. Would you pray for this? Yes. Um, Lord, we thank you, Lord, for for this conversation. We thank you for this seminar, Lord. We thank you for every person here who feel the need to talk about this subject and to uh, see things changing and see things um, transformed in their churches, Lord. So I pray for empowerment, Lord, that you would empower 
everyone who is feeling called to to bring about a change in 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 the culture of their church to bring about fusion and to bring about differences uh, to celebrate differences lord everyone who is feeling their hearts burning for that right now i pray that your spirit would come and would increase that and would give them um, strategies and show them a way of doing things lord that would put a prayer in their hearts lord so that they will see things happening in their churches and you see a, a, a multitude of different colors of skin coming through the doors and uh, and that reflection of your kingdom lord and the reflection of every nation and everything that will be before your throne father in the name of jesus we thank you amen So I think we get kicked off at half past. It might be that we can stay on. I don't know if there's somebody from the team. We can ask those questions. Um, if you stay, uh, and then we just stop when we stop. How's that sound? I don't know if there's somebody from the church, Vineyard Church's team can just tell us, but we, we'll just do a little bit more. We'll just go till we stop. If you guys are fine. <laughs> we get brutally thrown out. Um, so there was a question about, I did see a question about, um, uh, there was, a, a, I think, a kids worker. Did you see that question? Who had visited a family, uh, a black family, and their child was nonverbal autistic. And it felt like uh, it was a difficult topic. Maybe the church they were involved doesn't talk to them or give them any support. Looking for advice. Who wants to take that one? <laughs> Maybe I wonder if that's about. Go on, Nathan, you answer that. You've done a lot of that stuff. Um, having an autistic child, perhaps that they don't get support with, or that maybe it's cultural. There's a combination there of complex needs. Um, I would just say you keep talking to them and talk to your leaders. We had a fat. We have a fat. Have a family who are Nigerian um, origin. Have a nonverbal autistic daughter and actually we had to uh, we decided to set up a new kids work for um children who have additional needs because there were these needs in the family and they felt that they had never had support like that um anywhere else and they were able to worship in church while we also invested kingdom stuff in their autistic daughter i mean that's a slight tangent they happened to be Nigeria and we also had a Peruvian family in the same situation um but that will all that if, if you've got additional needs like that there's a lot of isolation anyway in the family so just as much contact and ask questions and ask what they need and how can we help you but do it in tandem with your senior pastors who I'm sure would love to um help open up it's different at the moment because of lockdown and um, everything's different but that's what I would suggest with that sounds like you're doing a great job yeah. keep going keep yeah. asking those questions your heart for that is amazing should we just pick off one question to finish just the final question uh it was i thought it was quite an interesting one about dealing with dealing with hurts if somebody has um said something that has hurt you or not acknowledged race and that's hurt you um how do you guys what what are positive ways of dealing with that yeah. Um, so Dorothy, those hurts and those pains that do happen because people, people are sinful and people mess up. And Dorothy, do you want to speak on this? Because you, you, you have a massive following on Instagram, so I imagine that it's very common 
for people to say things to you that are hurtful or whatever how do you deal with that and especially as they begin to get into the racism sort of aspect of things yeah you know i could actually i could actually give you a real example um I, and i don't think the person meant it maliciously but it kind of it kind of i felt it a bit the person said um oh i i saw you i saw you in church no i saw i saw another lady in church that i thought was you but you all look the same so <laughs> i was just like oh um okay it's not funny but yeah and i it, i was it was like sinking in it was thinking i was thinking about it I was thinking like why would that and it was a white person said that to me and i was thinking why would they think that we all look the same you know again i don't think they meant it like it, it intentionally racist but it did come across that way so i just had to just keep talking to myself like look do you know what it's sometimes it's ignorant sometimes it's you know, they could actually just trying to be joking with me i just i was more trying to think of actually like the positive side as opposed to like thinking like this is racist this is racist but um i think what i probably should have done probably should have actually said to that person straight away yeah that's crap that's actually just because we're like we saw another black woman that has like the same similar hairstyle to me um and I probably maybe should have told leadership as well. Oh, this is what this person said in passing. Or, or if I can't speak to them, could you have a chat with them and let them know that comments like that aren't really acceptable? Um, so yeah, there's there's ways to deal with it. But I think one thing that you should never do is just like internalize it and allow it to rot away at you because you then start to think that um, every now every comment that that person makes is racist where it might, that might not be true. So yeah, just like um, if be as vocal as possible obviously without offending the other person and don't let it sink in. That's the only advice that I'll give. Yeah, and I think, you, I think that's a, I mean, I think it's just helpful, especially for your preaching team. If you're involved with ever preaching in a church or you're on a preaching team, this is why it's so helpful what Marcus was saying about representation, because I've, I wouldn't, I wouldn't know that that's happening and I wouldn't know that that's a painful reality for people, but Dorothy, knows that and maybe Marcus knows that and so as you have different people preaching who have all kinds of different lived experiences those things can be addressed just naturally as it flows out of their understanding of this is what this text speaks about and I know generally when Marcus preaches I give him really hard passages to preach on uh, He's so um, so that's really good and um, Marcus you, you are also a rapper aren't you which is Yes. Which is true. <laughs> and, generally, and generally, I think I've been really helpful with your with your style. Inspirational. Yeah. yeah. Inspirational. That, that's really. You don't have to join in with these jokes, Marcus. <laughs> validation. So, but I think there is a there is a deliberate thing as a preacher you can do to try. You can't always get it right, and the reality is, in all our communities, people will sin. People will not get things right. But as a preacher or somebody who's leading a small group and opening the word, it talks about these things so much, doesn't it? And um, you can empower and reference things. Uh, I try and regularly, if I can, like talk about things that maybe I would never think about, but, you know, make jokes at Marcus's expense and stuff like that. Just because it, I think it, the power of the word to preach on these things, isn't it? Would, what, would, you, would you say anything about that, Marcus and Sahara? When it comes to preaching, I think it was touched on earlier, like preaching styles come different cultures have different styles. Like, and I think for me, 
I've grown up in a background where I was in mostly mainly white churches so I'm used to a certain style mm. myself and I'm black mm. um so when I see like other preachers who are more loud and vocal even sometimes for me I'm a bit like oh. <laughs> so if that's happening to me I can only imagine how difficult it is for other races um but I think there is so much power in the word to change your heart if someone's saying a good message mm. it's going to change your heart and if you're listening, if you take away everything that's on the surface, on the face of it, if you take away the race, take away how it's been delivered and just listen to what the person's saying, if they're preaching the word of God, then everyone's going to benefit. Mm. Um, yeah, that's pretty good. That's interesting because I think that, you know, we, we all say that, you know, not one person from a race can represent the whole race. And so it's quite interesting because even I have to step back in this conversation and recognise I am black, but I'm born in Britain. I don't know what it's like to be black and from a different country and move mm -hmm. here. So even that experience, even I have to, to think about that. And I think it just goes to show it. It's for all of us because we're all contributing to God's church. It's not, oh, you're black, so you're an expert on this or you're, it's for all of us to contribute and to try and help God's kingdom grow in the right way, the way that we believe it should. And that is going to take acknowledging things about yourself that you might not have understood beforehand. Um, so yeah, mm. Ara, that is such that is brilliant wisdom. That's amazing. Um, <laughs> if we do this, if we do this seminar next year, I'm going to use that and claim it's my own. <laughs> <laughs> and you won't be invited to be on the panel just in case. <laughs> so, um, oh, I think that's an amazing thing to finish on. 